What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John, and with me, as always, is Daniel Terry. How are you doing this evening as of when we're recording? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm uh, got my space dust. Everything's pretty much okay, as far as I can tell. As far as I know, everything in my house isn't about to spontaneously combust, so we should be all right for at least the next five minutes. There you go. I think in a household where there's, what, four kids, that that's always a high probability of happening at any given point. All I got to say, man, is I got some disgusting kids. so they they got home today um i cooked dinner or whatever so wednesday nights are always bath nights because for school they are out uh out in nature pretty much all day uh on wednesdays so we uh give them baths you know on wednesday night and like i swear the water was like a brownish green color like um it looked like the sewage in the old teenage mutant ninja turtles uh cartoon that's what the bath water looked so they were disgusting but uh yeah that's that's pretty much been me for the uh for for this evening so far so let's uh we can only go up from here absolutely and i think uh the guest we have on this episode will definitely bring the vibe up it's uh jason rao uh you might know him as the guitar player in breaking benjamin but uh he's here to talk about the new love and death record which uh is out february 12th 2021 so you you got quite a while till you get to hear this but uh uh thankfully we got an advance of the record and uh man it's really fucking good um i for those that maybe don't remember love and death initially you know it started off kind of as head's uh, solo project of sorts when he had left corn and i think it actually had a different name at the time and then morphed into love and death and then basically has been resurrected now uh almost as a super group of sorts you know there's uh um obviously you know brian is singing uh, Jason's playing bass, but I know in a more studio setting, uh, I think it's a very collaborative effort. And uh, one of the more bigger surprises to me was Isaiah Perez, who is the drummer for Phineas, uh, was actually is the drummer of this band now. And I think really adds an interesting dynamic to I don't want to call it Jed, but it definitely has a more heavier element than we're really used to hearing even in Corn. Uh, at times and, and feels more like a, a current sounding record uh, even compared to Breaking Benjamin too oh yeah dude I totally agree like I think that they like I think Love and Death is kind of like vanilla ice cream for me in that like at least the first record was and even the Brian Head Welch solo record that came before it um, I think that they've always been you know kind of chill having a very relaxed sort of uh, atmosphere as a band and just being like it's heavy, but it still has that modern uh, radio rock sheen. But I think this one's kind of just like blowing a lot of that away and going going a little bit more, uh, go, going a bit heavier. Like it's either modernizing and I'm just too old to keep up with it or they actually are going heavier. I would definitely say it lends itself more to a more modern sound. I mean, I, I kind of even had talked about it where I was like, you know, I think corn obviously is an a, and this sounds like it's like down in like G or G sharp, I think is what he ended up saying. Yep. But I mean, it's even lower than corn. Um, and that is a very now kind of a sound basically, you know, whether you're using the seven strings and tuning down, you know, that you're seeing a lot of the, the more, I would say somewhat more progressive metal bands and current metal bands kind of playing in that tuning. Um, I don't really know how much of that was a decision based on uh, Brian's vocal range. Um, but I will say there were plenty of times on this new record where I, I wasn't even sure if it was Brian. Like even yeah. the single that's out right now that they just put a video out for for uh, Down. I thought that was totally the other guy. And then when the video starts and Brian's 
handling all the vocal duties, you're like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Like, wasn't expecting that. I thought it was the other guy. So Brian, even I think on this record, has really grown as a vocalist. And it's really refreshing to see him even kind of expand what he does and what he's known for. And, you know, I think that's kind of sometimes the detriment of a lot of these quote unquote side projects or whatever is just the fact that people don't stray too far from what they do. I mean, look at that first stone sour record. It's yeah. like slipknot basically. Yeah. And it's then like volume it, three, part two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually it would have predated volume. Three. Three. Yeah, that's right. yeah. But it's, it's funny how it took a little bit for stone sour to kind of become their own thing and, you know, slipknot to kind of really just stay and be who they are now. But it's, uh, yeah, this record's really good. It definitely is uh, one that I think when it comes out next year, I think a lot of people are going to be pleasantly surprised at how good it is. I agree with you 100%. And I think that uh, I think that this record, like the last one, I think it's going to kind of set people... I don't think it's going to be what people are expecting. I mean, this is a tooth and nail band, I believe, still. Nope. Uh, at least the first record was on tooth and nail. Oh, uh, maybe. I, could, I don't think they're on a label, technically, even though I think overseas, I just saw Earache, I think, is putting it they're out. They're on over. Earache. Yeah, yeah, that's weird, because they were on Tooth and Nail for... But it could have just been one album contract. Maybe. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, but they, they are associated with that scene. And that's the interesting thing, too, is I think the people that are listening to this expecting it to be Christian rock, um, it's really not that at all. Um, no. <laughs> no. You know, uh, but I think that's, you know, I think that brian is brian's gone through quite the journey as far as like what his beliefs are and what his mission is and all that stuff uh it was definitely it got a little cringe in a couple places earlier in the career but um i think he's he's found a really really good way to just be expressive with his music um and then just be inspirational just as as brian as the dude right you know and I think that I think he's, you know, more or less reached more people uh, through doing that, you know, than uh, that than necessarily being like, hey, you know, the, the stuff in this book, you guys should should do that. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, without further ado, let's get into uh, the conversation with Jason and we'll talk to you guys on the other side of it. Yeah, that was a that was a cool tour. I, I, that was a, a lot of fun. The second one we've done with them, obviously. But. Yeah, it was a good run. I uh, thankfully the only other show I got to see after that was the Kill Switch tour. I did some interviews, and then okay. literally the next day, because uh, when talking to uh, Justin from Kill Switch and JB from August Burns Red, you know, it was wild because we did those interviews about an hour apart, like so around like two p.m. my time, and it was wild because we did the one with JB, and it was like, yeah, we're here in Rumblings. Like, see, it was at the time where it was like Portland show, Mike be hap calf now yep, yeah. because of whatever we're still figuring shit out the rest of the tour seemingly is going to be fine mm-hmm. and then by the time i did the interview an hour later with justin it's like seattle's canceled uh these other dates are probably going to have to be moved to other rooms but it looks like half the tour is going to get shut down so then literally the very next day everything was done whole tour was shut down yeah and it was like we Jesus, got lucky what a 24 hours week yeah, it, we we were so fortunate. Not only did we miss the shutdown by a week, we were able to finish the whole tour. But it got to the point where uh, we were at the end of our record cycle on that one. I mean, we didn't. We had maybe one more tour we could have squeezed out of it, kind of thing. But it was time to start going back for new music, and uh, so we, we we the at least the album got to have its full you know go at it, which was yeah. nice. 
Yeah, it's been kind of funny talking to some people about how stoked they are. Like, you know, the Nothing More camp, like Mark's a good friend and, you know, they're recording mm-hmm. right now. And he's just very much been like, yeah, this didn't really affect us necessarily because we already planned this time to be off. Uh, you know, our touring cycle was done. That ghost tour we did, you know, that we hung out at was honestly kind of the extra like like squeezing the last little tour we could out yeah, of our album. Sure. Run, but it was just too good of a tour to pass up, uh, too good of an opportunity to, you know, get into some, uh, you know, arenas and so forth and tour with Ghost and get in front of some new fans. So it's like, all right, like, why not? And mm-hmm. but it's it's been really crazy just to see, you know, having friends and, you know, like dudes in the Acacia strain. It's like that's a smaller band. They put out basically two records there's some stuff that I've been privy to that they were planning on doing to tour in support of the new release and, and uh, sure. celebrating an anniversary of a record and all of that shot to shit. And now it's like, we just had like one of the greatest records, you know, charting and all that kind of stuff that we've had in a while. And now we can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Absolutely. you just wonder like, what does, what will that do to a band of that size that relies so heavily on actually being on the road? That, that's hard too, because, um, this, uh, summer that we just finished, you know, was going to be, uh, I just think, uh, it was already slated to be as far as ticket sales went probably one of the highest grossing rock years that we've had in a long time. I mean, there were some huge, you know, um, you know, my, it was a good year. Oh my gosh. It was going to be some great tours. A lot I mean, of, it was very saturated. Tour was huge too. Yeah. Uh, just great, great, great packages. Um, and have built it, you know, on the amphitheater front, some of those, uh, you know, disturbed, uh, corn, not best, uh, that was, we had our package, five finger had theirs, uh, had been building these kind of opportunities with those larger venues and selling more and more tickets each year, the past four or five years. So, and, uh, this was kind of slated to be that year where we really, you know, tool a bunch of cool stuff. And, uh, I, I hope that it didn't really, I hope we just put a pin in it and really didn't, you know, pull back. But, uh, one of the tough things is going back out and, you know, that's where we hope to resume is where that tour had left off. And the problem is, is every artist in the world is going to be competing for those, not only those venues, but I mean, try to get production right now. You know, we usually do ours, um, from trucks to buses to PA to lights. We'll do kind of like a, somewhat of a two year lease at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously everybody's had to fold on those and uh, we'll see what's available when everybody goes back. It's tough. So it's, uh, I think it's that's kind of the interesting thing about where this is now um, and kind of leading into actually a more of a formal uh, introduction. And is it Rausch? Is that how you say it? Uh, Rau actually rhymes with Rau? cow. It's okay. German. Yeah. Okay. I just learned how to spell or pronounce it last year. So don't feel bad. Dude, you know what's funny is uh, Mark actually speaking of him uh, when mm-hmm. I was trying to say his name, he was like, actually it's Vole Lunga. Um, and then he was like, I just found out through like a 20, three me that someone in my family did that we have been saying it wrong like my dad's whole life my whole life like we just found <laughs> out that we came from a different area than we thought and like all this stuff and it's it's kind of interesting to hear that that's actually happening a little bit more now due to yeah some of these things where you're just like, Oh, I apparently half my life has been a lie. <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to go down that road. I haven't done one of those yet, but I'd like to, does it not freak you out? The, the fact that you're giving up DNA? Uh, I'm sure I'm on so many watch lists already. They already, know I mean, I was going to say you between, know. you know, this basically, oh, we're being monitored in so many things. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had mentioned before we started, you know, I had COVID, so I, I, I they've got me there. I'm at, Dude, know. that test sucks. It's it horrible. Was, it was so it gnarly. Awful. Yeah, my kids had to, to have it done. Um, and it, I, I was just not. How, how old are your kids, by the way, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, 10, 12, and 3. Okay, so old enough-ish to kind of at least be explained what's about to happen. Oh, yeah. And, okay. and uh, my two older ones in particular were like, uh-uh, I don't want to do it. You know. Oof. 
It was it was horrible. And I think they have different ones now. They'll have uh, quicker tests that they can swab your cheek, back your throat kind of thing. Oh, really? Yeah. I know oh. like the Rogan camp and those guys, those are the tests that they're doing. They're not going yeah. back to the brain too much anymore. But I felt like I was being assaulted. <laughs> it was terrible. Well, and the worst part is, is at least ours, when I had to do mine, I had to drive away afterward and, and you're like trying to put your Same. mask back on and then you're like tears, you're watering up oh. and then you're like doing this. It's like the only way I could describe it was like, just imagine like jumping into water, getting a bunch of water shot up your nose. Yeah. And then, like, you're just like all your senses are kind of in disarray. And then oh, it's like you're terrible. trying to drive as soon as you're done. You're like, I can't even pull away anywhere and just let this happen. <laughs> yeah. I went to one of the drive through places and, uh, Same. like, yeah. okay, go ahead and pull forward. And I'm like, <laughs> hope I don't hit anything. <laughs> yeah. This is insane. Um, yeah. But you're actually here to talk about the new Love and Death record, which, unfortunately, for everyone who will hear this, won't be out until next year, uh, Valentine's Day weekend, uh, February. Mm-hmm and uh you know perfectly preserved is the record you drop the video today for drown as of when we're talking uh i got the record earlier this morning and i gotta say um you know having gone through it four or five times now it's wild to kind of hear how this feels like a whole new band compared to where it started from between here and lost you know what seven years ago i think at this point yeah or eight um you know, was that kind of a thing that you and Brian sat down or maybe collectively as a band sat down and really wanted to make this not sound like corn? You know, because unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's what I think a lot of us kind of took away with Brian having just left corn. Is you're like, oh, here's the corn sound that we haven't heard in a yep. little bit. But this record yeah. doesn't sound like the first record. I feel like it sounds mm-hmm. like a brand new band. How much of that was an actual thought out plan to really kind of approach us as a new entity? I think there was some foresight there, but, uh, you know, to go back on the on the first uh, record, as you had mentioned, when we were writing and recording and finishing that, he had at that time not gone back to Corn yet. He was still out. And uh, the, initially, when I started working with Brian, it was 2010, 2009, possibly. Um, was in a very different headspace, you know, kind of trying to remove himself from the like. I don't want to do the. Cor- I, I want to write without playing guitar. I want to do those kinds of things. And we ultimately kind of got the trusted each other enough where he, he let me be just like, why don't you just write some riffs? Cause that's what you do, you know? <laughs> um, and of course what, what he came up with is you go, okay, there's the sound that that's what it is. And at the time this was um, coming out of the kind of dubstep album that corn did. So that was where corn was at. Um, his, his first album back with corn, I think path to totality, I think, or maybe it was after that. Uh, started introducing more of the guitars and more of a band driven thing, even the um, making of the record was very different, mm-hmm. but uh, where we were at that time, what he was doing was not necessarily being accomplished with the sound, what, what corn was doing. Um, so coming out of that. And then as the record was releasing, that's when he announced he was going back. So, I mean, it was, it was right on top of each other. Um, so going into this one, there was kind of a conscious effort to um, acknowledge the fact that corn is still and has pulled away from the electronic elements, relying on it that much anyway. Right. And uh, going back to more riff based stuff, especially, you know, head monkey, just those dudes feed off each other. It's amazing being in a room with them, watching them just like, OK, wait, put it again. Uh, OK, what if we uh, you do that and I'll do this? They just do their thing and they it's a call and response. It's a really cool process to, to, to see happen. Um, and so for this, uh, both of us were able to we've mentioned in the past um, take risks that we couldn't necessarily do with our other bands and um, use that as an opportunity, you know, use that as kind of some sort of currency to go into this and create not a new sound. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel because we want to like the fan base, the collective 
collective fan bases that we do have happy, and it's something that they would want to listen to and want to hear. And we're not coming out with this crazy experimental thing, but at the same time, um, take some risks and try some new things that we wouldn't try in our own band. So um, I, I think that was a conscious decision, but uh, it, it felt pretty organic. I mean, we, we recorded 20, 25 songs for this one. Uh, and most of them up until finishing were about 60 to 75% done. You know, these kind of ideas that like, you know, do we want to keep these when we revive them? And then once COVID hit, that's where we really kind of hit the, the ground running. All right, let's sit down and um, the, the, the good thing about COVID, um, there's, well, not COVID in particular, but this time off <laughs> is just the fact that it's, it's kind of this big equalizer, uh, for better or worse, you know, um, if you're going to release music right now in the rock genre, we rely on getting in front of people, uh, you know, press is an outlet. Well, thankfully you guys are essential, you know, but, uh, same with radio, uh, that's going to keep moving, but, the the connections that we have from the live experience just isn't there. And that's what we rely on for a lot of our, um, getting in front front of people and letting people know and promoting from that side of things. So not having that, it's been a good equalizer because newer bands or bands that aren't as big, um, unless there's not the same accessibility with, with like I was mentioned, mentioning press, but uh, we're all kind of in the same same place right now, you know? And so I, I really hope that that can be a takeaway that the good stuff is going to rise to the top because I think, um, unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff out there that gets press um, when things are uh, back to normal, I guess that that maybe shouldn't. <laughs> maybe they get pressed because they've been around for a long time, or they get pressed because there's a lot of money behind it, or something like that. It, it gets in. Fr- there's a lot of people paying attention to it, and it's not necessarily the greatest stuff, you know. Um, and then you have it's hard to create um, another awareness of bands like we did with Nirvana or with Corn. You know, both those bands uh, w- when they were signed it was such a different time a different generation with the record recording industry but it's like uh well we'll sign this i mean maybe it'll do good we'll see what happens and then it just takes off um it's difficult to have that kind of thing right now because uh there's such a priority on things there's such a and there's so much saturation of music out there to have anything stick it's pretty tough well i think what's <clears throat> kind of you know a handful of things that you kind of touched on there um coincidentally i watched a quick little like 20 minute thing yesterday on youtube of brian kind of chronologically going through the songwriting of corn and you know his big takeaway was you know we're very influenced by mr bungle just doing weird shit that like doesn't seem like it would work or very weird chords uh especially being on a seven string lower registers all that kind of stuff and lower tuning and you know he's kind of going through like oh a monkey came up with this this thing and then i played this weird little riff over it like you know the intro to blind that first rip that like that's a weird Uh like wouldn't really be anything someone would probably use to be the beginning of a an album let alone a song and then you know he's just kind of working through like oh here's how we did like adidas or twist like these kind of you hear it and when you hear it in conjunction to the full band you're like oh that Uh sounds great but when you start narrowing it down like here's the riff here's the groove we were kind of looking for and then and then jonathan came over and it's like if we were doing something that's you know a major he's doing something tonally minor over it or Uh all these kind of things and it was really interesting to watch him break down corn musically uh-huh. in a way that I've not really ever heard articulated. And it was to me, it was really interesting because it really does make you kind of, especially when you have good headphones or you really start paying attention yep. to the production of things where you just kind of start going, yeah, man, fuck. Like when he's talking about got the life and he's like, yeah, we're playing this weird thing. It's got a disco beat. And then here comes John yep. with a very aggressive vocal over it. That almost creates a, a sort of counter rhythm or a heavier rhythm than what we're already putting down. And you just kind of start thinking about it. And you're like, yeah, who the fuck would do that? Like that makes no yeah. sense. And there's even stuff on, 
on Love and Death Rex, kind of some oddball things. Like to me, you know, I was wondering how much of the guitar parts are actually Brian writing because given the capacity of what I know him to play and how he plays, this doesn't sound necessarily like Brian. It doesn't mm-hmm. even sound like it's in the same tuning as Brian plays. Like I think mm-hmm. Ted and uh, Monkey usually are in A, I think. Um, on the yep, seven string, yep. and this sounds, if I had to guess, since I just got a seven string recently, this might even be in like G, G sharp, yeah. So, this is G okay. sharp drop tuning, and they're in A standard, so okay. it, it is a very different thing. Um, so the sonics from that point can be different. Um, you're saying you, as you're talking more about it not sounding like Brian, and um, there's nuances and things that he does sonically that are very signature that that him and Monkey both do, you know. Um, and it's too, it's difficult to not kind of fall into that trap of like, well, we should probably do this, like this weird dissonant thing right. on top of it. Cause then we'll know here or put this swirly Leslie thing, chorus, super chorus thing on it. Um, you know, kind of the go-to effects for that sound or it's hard to not like keep painting with the same brushes. So I think that, that we did kind of put some different um, pressure on ourselves from, from that perspective to not kind of fall into the same um, th- things and do something different. Um, where as for me too, uh, with breaking Benjamin riffs, like I know that we're obviously pretty well and uh, to try and do something that I wouldn't necessarily do there by my, my go-tos and not that it's not lazy writing. It's just, you, you speak a oh. certain language for so long. It's, it's difficult to kind of to pull yourself. And I think that's where the cha- us challenging each other back and forth uh, really helped. Well, I think that's something that is very obvious on this record and was kind of surprising because, you know, for me, like I just said, I, I kind of broke down corn has their sound. There's sort of a thing, especially with two guitar players that they do. That's, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost at times they're not necessarily playing a proper rhythm and lead. It's it's kind of trading oh. off and letting Fieldy at times come in and, and play a lead or, you know, playing a counter melody or whatever. It's just kind of really interesting how that that band works. And then even in Breaking Benjamin, it's like you guys have your sound. There's kind of what I know you guys to do. And at times even being a three guitar band. Um, uh-huh. And so it, it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes like you look at that first Stone Sour record and it was like, yeah, this feels like people in Slipknot not doing like these weren't quite up to par to be in yep. Slipknot. Or you look at, you know... A really a better one because there was nothing really before it liked it but like you look at uh Merde Noms by Perfect Circle mm-hmm. that didn't sound like Tool in any way shape or form no but the thing kind of becomes um there are pieces that you find where you're like oh okay I kind of hear this person's influence coming in until mm-hmm. they've had a record or two under their belt and touring to kind of figure yeah. things out and this record didn't really feel like that where I'm like ah there's kind of the Breaking Benjamin influence there's a little bit yeah. of the corn influence it just feels like the weird thing to me honestly the only person in the band that I feel like I'm like, oh, this fits this person. What I know them to do is Isaiah because of what yeah. he does in Phineas. It sounds mm-hmm. Isaiah is the only one where I'm like, I get this. The rest of you, I'm like, it's <laughs> hard for that. you to kind of get your heads around this because it's more of kind of a, a genty kind of vibe, a new, more mm-hmm. modern style of guitar playing and, and the way that, you know, kind of more staccato y kind of riffs and so forth. So, yeah. And yeah, Isaiah thing. brought a lot to the table there. I mean, he has a sound and he's a player, man. Uh, that guy, we were all super stoked to just, he's a lot of fun to record. He's a lot of fun to work with. How did, how yeah. did you guys, how did he come on your radar? Cause he's, as far as I know, not toured with you or uh, breaking, like breaking better. No, or so I, uh, we had crossed paths just through, I, we both live in Nashville. Hmm. Uh, well, you know, Brian lives here too, all three of us, I guess. And um, it kind of crossed paths in different, like friends of friends kind of thing there. Um, and uh, we were out on tour and we went and saw uh, some other friends of ours here live in Nashville uh, or 
Cody, the guitar player for Wage War. Mm-hmm. Great. And I love that band. Yeah. Uh, great guy. Uh, we write a lot together too on other stuff. And we, so he, we were all in New York City at the same time. We had a day off. So I went out and saw them. And uh, Isaiah was filling in for, uh, from like Moss to Flames. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we saw him and they were opening up. And uh, my tour manager and I were sitting on the side stage, like, holy shit, look at this kid. Like, he was just, he was rocking it. And, you know, since they were opening, they weren't on a riser. He was just set up on his floor with a little kit, just killing it, you know? And, uh, when afterwards and he came up to me, he was like, Hey dude, I'm Isaiah. I'm like, no way. Okay. Now I'm putting all the pieces together. And that was the first time we kind of crossed paths in a formal place. And then, um, yeah, kind of just came time to, um, look when we, we recorded Juns with Dan Johnson, the, the old drummer on, uh, about 10 other songs. And then we rewrote a bunch and wrote some new songs. And obviously these are the, that's that batch is mostly what ended up on uh, the new album. Uh, but uh, we had talked about working with, with just different sound, different player kind of thing. Um, and Isaiah's name came up. And uh, so, yeah, gave him a call. They got connected with him and was stoked. I mean, he, he, he hustles and he, he has some cool parts again, in, in ways that we wouldn't necessarily think because um, you know, Brian and I, both of our, our riff backgrounds are kind of more on the, the, the bounce of the riff and, um, sometimes that can be accomplished with four on the floor, you know? Mm-hmm. So our minds don't necessarily go to that. Um, Off time signature stuff. Yes. Uh, over, right. And over the bar line and, and those kinds of things. Um, so that, those, that was a cool addition and, and something very welcome for sure. Yeah. It was just one of those that like, once I saw him post starting to post teasers and stuff like that, uh, cause I know I had seen him on that, like mods tour. Uh, I had interviewed mm-hmm. the full Phineas camp, uh, when they were on a headline run a while ago. Okay. And so it was like one of those for me, like where I kind of saw him teasing this project and I'm like, what the, what the fuck is this? And then when mm-hmm. he like did the promo photo, I was like, holy shit. And then it was just like, okay, I, I kind of get, you know, the rest of it. Cause Brian had, in, in our chat that we had done was like, yeah, you know, I kind of want to resurrect life and death or love and death. I'm um, thinking of probably having Lacey. He keeps calling her Lacey Flyleaf, which was funny. Um, yeah. and, he, and you know, obviously someone, uh, you, and he's like, maybe even Ben, I don't know. Um, but you know, there's a handful of people, but Isaiah was never in that, Mm-hmm. that conversation so it was just like when it came about it's like i don't know how i'm sure there's a cool story there but it's just not what i would expect for yeah. in the realm of who you guys know as drummers it's like you could you know potentially have gone to someone like a roy mayorga who mm-hmm. does a great job of playing all different kinds of styles yeah or he's a beast play, or yep. you know a handful of other people and that wouldn't have been shocking either Oh no, absolutely, and that would have been a great fit. I think. I mean, he's a great guy. Or he's a great guy, but like, uh, yeah, Isaiah brought something uh, again. He his his background is much more technical and much more um, it's kind of really laid back uh, and groove oriented. Yeah, yeah. So he it, it just it worked. I, mean, I think those that it was a cool piece of the puzzle to pull them together. Um, obviously, we were fans of uh, you know heavier music in general. You know, you know, so. Uh, I'm always listening to that stuff and always absorbing as much as I can from just, uh, you know, some, sometimes the stuff like if it, whether it be periphery or, or whatever, or these polyrhythms and things, sometimes I can get over uh, my head. I was in music, <laughs> the like half a semester I spent in college was like a jazz studies major. And so mm. like familiar with it and I can read music, and everything, but uh, it gets over my head. And I, I'm such a song guy that I, I find myself, I can't go too far down that lane. But, uh, and I feel like there is kind of a theme sometimes. I, uh, the uh, well, the Arch- New Architects album is a great example. Like those dudes are masters at what they do. And they, they've found themselves kind of pulling back essentially from that and just crushing it. And now they're in a position where they're showing everybody else. Like, I, I think that album's going to be really big. I know a lot of people have worked on that album and uh, they speak pretty highly about it. I think there's going to be some, that thing's going to make some waves for sure. <laughs> 
I think the thing that's interesting about kind of heavy music as a whole right now is, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, you you look at, and I was actually listening to a podcast I just found randomly, it was suggested, because now that Apple or iTunes or however, whatever the fuck you want to call it, mm-hmm. has basically revamped its interface. So instead of, you know, podcasts just being straight up like whatever I'm listening to, now when I'm listening to something, instead of just the shows or whatever, it'll give me the episodes that have dropped in chronological order. If I want to go to that show, I got to kind of click on it and go. But then now it's mm-hmm. popping up new shows that because you've been listening to this here's an episode of this other podcast you may not you may like not just straight up here's a podcast you may like it's a here's an episode so i was Absolutely. listening to one from i think the dude's from could be wrong i think he said mxpx um mm-hmm. but basically it's uh dan dan dave mccosties or i don't know something like that didn't really see what the guy's name is but he breaks down a song so like mm-hmm. the episode i listened to is with aj and uh aj and jeremy uh from lit talking about yeah. writing uh my own worst enemy and you know like they're talking about like oh it's weird like there's no pre-chorus there's no bridge there's no like you don't really like he's and he's breaking it all down and as he's kind of saying this i'm like holy shit you're fucking right there is no there uh-huh. is no like it's such an untraditional song structure and i never really thought uh-huh. about it and you know as you're kind of listening to things like that and it's it's those are kind of the things I like listening to and learning about because I listen to a lot of music and, and start noticing nuance and production things and so forth. Yeah. But in in that, something that, you know, I was thinking of today actually is, you know, they talked about like, oh, back when that song became big, you know, it was a lot of down tune riffs and I'm not really into that. I'm more of the standard, you know, guitar tuning, writes and riffs, da, 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 da. And I kind of was thinking about how that's sort of the mentality of, you know, back in the, you know, the quote unquote new metal days is everyone was like, oh, it's just dumbed down riffing. Like it's not that hard. Mm-hmm. You know, that or the other. And I feel like at least now, heavier music is kind of being tagged as being actually proficient. You look at a band like Periphery or you look at a band like Meshuga and stuff like that, and you no longer can just say, well, that's just noise. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. okay, you play the fucking kick drum pattern. Oh, yeah. Good you know, luck. Look at what Lamb of God was doing and stuff like that. It's like, you know, Chris Adler was the stuff he was doing with you know the splashes and stuff he wasn't using his high or he wasn't using the, the kit in a traditional way anymore instead of where someone may be kind of doing a beat where it's kick you know snare hi-hat now he's mm-hmm. doing it on mostly cymbals and toms and barely using yep. the snare and the snare might actually be replacing a kick pattern that most people would be doing and when you kind of start doing that it's almost like yeah metal was never dumbed down or anything like that like even if you go back to the 80s stuff it's like it became so over the top because people were so fucking good at their instruments yep. that it became a joke. And it's like, now you're kind yeah. of, you know, a lot of people are joking about gent, but it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. It might be just zeros and ones like a binary code, but it's like, there is a lot of technical aspects to even doing that of having to stay in a time and making sure the time structure stays and works and oh, yeah. works against the counter time and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, you can no longer say heavy music is dumbed down. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love how music evolves. Um, you look at it like like in the air tonight like hmm. you know there's not a single symbol in the whole song no you know, nothing you know and sometimes when you start to pull back from things to doing it in a non-traditional way it really makes a statement and then that song it makes the, the toms and the snare that much more important you know um and what's, I, it's I, a what's not being played is exactly and i think bigger. a lot of times you'll make something heavy by having something softer in front of it or you vice versa um and i think there was that like when metalcore and everything started happening it became more accessible because like as they lay dying mm. You would have something that maybe somebody doesn't isn't super into thrash, but they'll have this thrash thing and it opens up to a melodic chorus. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, I can, I can relate to that. Or the, the riffs became more bouncy. They became a little bit more new metal inspired. And it's like, okay, I can relate to that. And that was the gateway drug into a lot heavier music that people would necessarily listen to. And then, um, you know, like 
a lot of the bands that I looked up to with their sounds and just their out of the box, Norma Jean back in the day, um, Dillinger, just some of these bands that were doing some different stuff that commercially weren't, it wasn't as accessible to a lot of people. Like everybody has the palate for that kind of thing, but corn is the same <laughs> with Mr. Bungle, right? I mean, you had, uh, Faith No More, the song Epic, which is amazing, come out. But uh, from the same mouth and the same brain comes Mr. Bungle. And you listen to some of that shit, people are like... I mean, look at California. I don't know, like, man. That record is fucking insane. Like, yeah. you got like lounge tracks. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Yeah, it, so, it's I mean, a lot to digest. And some people love it, man. They're, they're always going to have a cult following. But uh, being able to make that accessible and, and be able to communicate like raw motion and be able to communicate a song and that somebody has something that they walk away with. That to me was was the exciting part about music, regardless of genre. Cause I, I listen to all kinds of stuff. I still Same. obviously have a soft spot for heavy music, but um, that's what I like about it. That's what I love about working with Ben and breaking Benjamin. Like the dude's just a master at melody. I mean, he could sing about a shoe. And there's just something about his voice sometimes, which he does by the way, on demos, like just makes up words and you're like, damn it. That's so good. You know, I don't even know what you're saying yet, but you're, you're scatting this melody and you're selling it. Yeah, like I'm into it. I know what we're going for here. And uh, it's just a strength of his. And you got other guys, uh, you know, Trent Reznor is a huge influence of mine. Same sort of thing. Like he just has a way, he doesn't have the best voice. He doesn't have the best pitch. He doesn't, he's not the best tech, no, technical singer. Uh, but just the way he communicates, you know, just, it's brilliant. He's so far ahead in a lot of things and always has been. I think something, and I might cut this out just because I don't want to ruin the surprise, I guess, because it seems like you guys <laughs> have been trying to keep it under wraps. If your uh, pre-orders went live in the last couple of days, then in theory, a- Apple sure. Music would have uh, yeah, let me look it up. Ruined your surprise because it would be shown, but you'd not be able to be heard. Uh, yes, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, okay, so I can talk about this. I'm not going to feel bad. Yeah, because you have talked about the cover. People who mm-hmm. Casey's on it, so I, I'm not really ruining anything at this point, unless you want me to cut it out. But uh, nope, you're good. It's your cover there. of uh, yeah, your cover of uh, "Let Me Love You," which is a DJ Snake Justin Bieber collab. Yeah how how did you land on that song? Because as someone who like I'm unabashedly into a lot of uh, pop and hip hop and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And so to me, I love a good cover. And last night, my, my co-host and I were talking about random covers. Cause that Mo pop thing of Alice in Chains just dropped mm-hmm. where yep. basically everyone was doing Alice in Chains covers. And, you know, I was like, Oh, it was crazy. I think fishbone had my favorite cover and it was the most yeah. surprising one. Cause that's not what I would have expected from them. Sure. Yeah. I just um, watched that last night as well. So to me, it's one of those where, um, you know, I love a good cover that presumably wouldn't, you wouldn't expect from who you're hearing it from. So mm-hmm. how did you guys land on kind of a pop hit like that? I know listening to the interview you guys did for Loudwire a couple of days ago, uh, the story seemed to be that Brian and Lacey kind of were talking about doing something. He had talked mm-hmm. about that cover, but not really in a sense of how he even came about it. And then Lacey's like, oh yeah. my God, I love that song. I've been listening to it. So was it really just that? It was like, crazy. Where it was- yeah, so it initially happened. I mean, the stars aligned there. Um, so JR... Abara is the other guitar player in Love mm-hmm. and Death um, and who's singing w- with Lacey uh, a bunch on the track. Um, it, 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 he came up with this like, oh, check this guy's out. And or check this out. And he had this cool little, um, like heavy little programmy version. They did a garage band logic, whatever he was in, uh, of kind of the pre-chorus that, da, 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 dun, 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 that kind of cool thing. And it didn't have like the Mumbotan kind of radiotron thing happening that the DJ snake version had. And it was like, Oh, that's actually kind of cool. And it's in a key vocally that we're very familiar with. It's in that range of that drops. I, G, that might even be in G sharp. Um, 
well, that the fourth chord is a G sharp, but uh, which we're tuned to. And so if that's a, a diatonic note for the music theory people, we're like, I can make that work, you know? So it, maybe it lended itself that way. But then um, Lacey had worked with Breaking Ben on the acoustic album we did. We shot a video with her. And then we had talked with, even prior to that, uh, Brian had talked to her about doing some some stuff. So it was um, it was really cool for all that to those things to align. And then we brought it to her about like, what do you think about doing this cover with this? And as you said, she was super excited about it. She was a fan of the song and uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, we, we wanted it to be something different and something special. And uh, a lot of bands, I think when you're doing covers, there's this, uh, you, you straddle this line of being faithful to the original and then kind of making it your own at the same time. Uh, but out of the gate, um, we wanted to have like an impact where, you heard the song and it was like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. And then it goes to the place like, oh, wait, is this what I think it is? And then it turns into it is. Uh, and I think that was the kind of goal, the journey we wanted it that to, to, to go on, to take us there as like listeners and as fans of the song. And um, a, that, that song was a lot of fun to make. So obviously with it being more of an electronic based song in its natural state, were there other iterations? I mean, it sounds like not, it sounds like, you know, it basically started with the idea from JR basically bringing a partially done idea of doing the song mm-hmm. to you. Were there other demo versions where you were kind of working your way through the arrangement of how it should go? Like, or mm-hmm. was it good? Absolutely. We, we had a, we had written a couple riffs for it. Uh, couple different variations of the bridge which ultimately ended up we we ended up splicing a lot of the vocals from these different takes of things together making this little chaotic piece yeah. um but uh we we did love once we started going what really stuck was the pre-chorus and this wide open soaring um uh, uh chorus you know that mm-hmm. this kind of halftime feel which the original did not have and it, it was a very <laughs> cool thing um and, and uh, same way I, I love a lot of pop and a lot of hip-hop and things like that um, a lot of accessible music on, on, on that front. I think there's connections and I can pull things with that being a fan of heavy music, you know, enjoy it just saying, even like uh, some of the new country stuff that's out. But uh, that everything, like I said, everything kind of fall, fell into place with that one. So that when the the song really started to kind of uh, take shape and we, we, we think we figured out uh, a form that worked for us, cutting some things, extending some things, uh, keeping it. So it wasn't a really long song. Um, it came about pretty organically and, and felt really comfortable and, and right once we once we landed on it. So out of curiosity, like I know, obviously, when you put out a cover on a record that you're indirectly selling, um, obviously, there has to be clearances and so forth. Do you know mm-hmm. if uh, DJ Snake actually has heard your track and has offered any feedback in any way, shape or form? Or was it just kind of cleared through his people? And they're like, yeah, we're good. And like payment went through, <laughs> basically. Yeah, I mean, we try to do our creative thing and let the... The powers that be, management and, and publishing and things like that, uh, make sure that all the clearances, obviously, and everything are good. I, I haven't heard anything personally about it. I mean, I'd love to get a take on it, um, you know, because we wanted to do the song justice, obviously. We think it's a good song. Uh, it's just catchy. It's a feel-good song. And that was another reason for us to kind of approach it was it was it was so major sounding. It was so uplifting. Like, how do you not walk away with this sounding like, uh, you know, just a, how do we turn this into an aggressive, uh, more minor sounding uh you know, palette that we would be more familiar with. Well, I think on top of that, I think even lyrically, it kind of fits the overall kind of narrative of the record too. Like where it's like, Uh I mean, the, with what you did to it, it kind of now becomes sort of a melancholy type vibe Uh to it. Uh, Whereas before it was sort of, I'm going to say like kind of like a longing, like a, yep. 
you know, kind of it's it's kind of weird when you start breaking down songs due to difference in tempo and, and sonics and so forth. Where you're like, well, now instead of it feeling like a, an optimistic and hopeful thing, now you're kind of uh-huh. like, oh, it's kind of uh, well, I don't know. I hope this is what you know. I want this to yeah. happen. I'm trying to manifest yeah. these good things, but I'm just kind of not in a really good spot right now. Like it's mm-hmm. it's interesting how a message can change just based on simply oh, yeah. changing the arrangement or whatever of it. So it was kind of interesting how you did that, are, that song. Yeah, I, I think the used kings of that i, I think oh, yeah. death tones are great at that i mean you look at some of his lyrics like this is just a, this is a cheesy love song but it is rad as hell you know well i mean um, they're the kings too of cover songs too like i mean that no. was actually something i was going to ask is was there anything else in contention for a cover song for this just in general maybe that you had been jamming on but then landed on this one we had a uh, so the last album we did uh whip it by devo Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian and I both in particular, um, we really like the new wave stuff, you know, coming out of that era and a lot of the programming and obviously the joy division and the things that those, uh, as that started shaping music in, in that realm and then working into nine inch nails and things, um, so even though we're not as electronic as that electronic based, we do have a lot of, uh, you know, back to Peter Gabriel and stuff like that, a lot of influence there. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I think that was the kind of the cool elements with it, it being more electronic. And it is such a song on such an electronic format that so many people are listening to, you know, I'll, I'll go out to bars and stuff here in Nashville and, you know, I'm a little older, but, uh, you know, some of the kids, especially mid 20s early 20s i mean like electronic music is everything like these massive festivals and things and, and the, the this following and this attraction to it it like they'll completely overlook the song sometimes because of the energy they're getting from the track that they're listening to and i think that's kind of cool I, I i think there's something cool about it whether i get their sp- same response or not that might be a different conversation but i get it i know exactly what they're doing and so to be able to take a, a song with that electronic of a background but that at the core of it is a good song um, right, you know, most of the stuff I work on, and, and something I learned from from Ben Burnley was just if I can't sit down and play that song with an acoustic, with no riffs, no parts, nothing, you know. Um, but if I have a, a drop C guitar and I'm riffing on an open string, to me that's C minor. If I can't strum a C minor and I get to my verse and and sing it and play the chorus, then I probably don't have a song. Um, right, and so to be able to take that skeleton from something and then add all the bells and whistles of what we would do, riffs and dissonance and bends and that kind of stuff that I, I love that kind of thing it's funny one of my favorite youtube videos that my wife and i and we subsequently always inevitably get drunk and share with other people is that uh dave Grohl writing the hits yep oh my god gotta treat gotta treat it like a bumper sticker life's a bitch keep on trucking <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like you know and then like the thing that was always the big takeaway from that where if you, no one has ever seen that video they're always like holy shit that's so right is he's like you know who writes the fucking hits aerosmith and you know how they do it chorus don't bore us get to the chorus love in an elevator how's the song start love in an elevator boom right yep. away you know like and then you're just like oh, yeah jesus christ they really do just start every fucking song with the chorus like ragdoll ragdoll and you're like fuck Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it was like one of those like one of those things like it was so so stupidly simple but then as you think about it you're like oh my god like some of the like all my like classic rock songs kind of do do that that's fucking Mm -hmm. wild but like it was kind of funny because like last night uh i was watching i watched that sean mendez documentary that's on netflix hoping that it would be a little bit more than it was i haven't Um, checked it out yet i was going to but it's very surface level and honestly the last I'd say 30-ish minutes and sort of how the documentary starts uh, is sort of how it ends. But I wanted to see more of that. 
um, where basically there's, there, you know, I'm having vocal problems and I ha- I'm in yeah. uh, Brazil and I have to cancel this tour and, or this this date and things like that. Like I wanted to kind of see more of that and get more because it showed more of him as a as as a person. Yeah. Instead of just like, oh, here's me playing in this arena and it's fun and mm-hmm. you know, it, it's kind of very, it's like it's like fluff. It's like ninety yeah. percent fluff and like ten percent cool shit that I wish they would have expanded upon uh-huh. more. Um, like there's a scene where he's literally going to pick up his sister and some dudes like next to him, like snapping a photo while they're at a light. And he's like, Oh, my daughter's a big fan. Can you say hi? And da, da, da. And when they, they started going, I really expected him to be like, God, it's, it's really hard to be on all the time for people. Like I expected mm-hmm. that to be where it starts going. Yeah, it, it wasn't. It was just all of a sudden him picking up his, his sister yeah. and talking about whatever. And you're like, all right. I mean, yeah. I guess maybe that's, that's, maybe that's That's what I would expect too. That's what I, I, cause I think he's far enough into his career. Where he's starting to get taken a little bit more seriously outside of yeah. uh, some of the typical demographic. You know, he just did that song with Bieber. That's a huge thing. I mean, Bieber's there. Yeah. You know, so uh, it, it was the thing where I, I wanted a little bit more. Um, And then subsequently, right after I got done with that, I watched the Justin Timberlake and the Tennessee kids uh, concert. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was so weird because like I kind of at times when I was watching the Sean Mendes thing, I was like, I see pieces of sort of like how you could be Justin, like where it's like you got this band and you play and you there's a lot of interplay with them, but you're just not there yet. Like you're yep. you're either too young as an artist or too young as a person to kind of really figure out how to work that and work the show around it. Whereas like Justin obviously is just on a whole nother level. And it's like, yeah. at one point, you know, they're on a stage, the stage is coming out into the arena, like out to where uh, front of house is. And, you know, there's an acoustic and then he pulls out this acoustic and the band, the band and him kind of cut into this cover of uh, one of my favorite songs, human nature by Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. fucking phenomenal cover. Then he starts kind of finger picking this song and I'm like, Oh shit, he's getting ready to play. What goes around comes around. I mean, I recognize the melody. And then, like I said, I was like, Oh man, this is like one of my favorite Justin songs, but like, it's really cool to hear this version of it. Mm-hmm. And my wife's like, how did you know what's what it is? I was like, the melody's still there. Like, just yeah, because it's absolutely. not like, just because you're not hearing it on key, like the, like he's finger picking it. It's still the same notes. Mm-hmm. It's still the same melody, but like now, instead of it being kind of a mid tempo, we slow burn kind of song. Now it's like a really slow, sexy, yep. chill acoustic kind of thing. And to me, like as a fan of music, I love seeing shit like that. Like it always makes yeah. me laugh. Like when, when you go see bands and you guys maybe will change a song, like we'll just say like, um, we'll say diary jane for example mm-hmm. so maybe that song starts off it's like gun, gun, like and it's like got that so like dun, 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 like in you guys might tease that out a lot longer like maybe it's the drum kind of holding that beat for a second yeah and then maybe the bass will kind of come in and start it and then you'll hear the the you know the delayed guitar part but you're not playing the whole thing you're just playing like the first couple of notes sure and it's like it seemingly takes people until you hear the f- the way the song actually normally starts where everyone's like, Oh, Oh, I know this. And you're like, how the fuck did you not know this? <laughs> yeah. That is a thing. And, and uh, from our perspective, it was like the musician side of things of being creative, you know, you want to have the Liberty to kind of push and pull um, what you're doing and keep things interesting. And, and if somebody comes and sees you, they're not, you're not regurgitating the same material over and over again. Well, it's building it's a show same. too, an actual show yeah. from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And at the same time, you're, it, it's no different than writing, um, you know, trying to recreate the wheel. If, if you're writing is a pretty, 
uphill battle. Uh, I, I always feel like it, you're trying to write something that everybody can relate to and has heard a million times, but never heard before. Like mm-hmm. you want them to walk away with this familiarity. And the only difference is, it's like, wow, I wouldn't have said it like that, but I know exactly what you mean. You know, right. we're all touching on the same continuum here. We're all, we're all going in, in, in the same linear progression as just a society and, and a generation as we are, whatever. Um, but, you know, you can go back to any period in history, even back to classical, you can find moments of identifying with emotion even before you know classical music like uh was a huge influence for me and you had everything mozart beethoven a lot of major keys and this and that and then paganini and rock on off of these russian composers that came in and started doing minor keys and they were accusing them of being like devil worshipers and witches witchcraft and things because they were doing these dark minor dissonant keys and it was obviously communicating something there you know there was no words there's no language involved there's no instrumentation difference there was no Tempo changes, it was just the note choices that they use. And so I think that that does continue throughout music history. And that's where we're there. So we want to keep plugged into that. And um, again, with this new album, uh, I think that was something we wanted to strive to do is to talk, communicate differently, but do the same thing we would do with Breaking Pan and with Corn. Uh, but just do it in, in, in a different language, um, but have this, those that fan base, the rock fan base that we, we try to appeal to so much, be able to go, oh, that's cool. I've heard it that way, but I totally get what this sounds familiar. I know what it is. You know, there's, it's comfortable for people to listen to. Kind of as we're, we're wrapping up, um, you know, you obviously announced the live stream you guys are going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we kind of touched on earlier, everyone will be vying for the same touring space, basically, mm-hmm. uh, when when touring is allowed to happen. What does what is the goal for this band? Because obviously, you know, as we kind of were saying before, uh, Breaking Ben basically is kind of in the the beginning. I would assume, or you already are in mm-hmm. the stages of pre pro for the new record. Corn, yep. in theory, probably in the same boat. So that's what you know, Love and Death. That's where this would come into play anyway. Yep. But with everyone now, like I said, that even playing field of everyone having the same time off because they can't tour. Does does that potentially affect? this release because maybe now the writing process for the other two bands gets going a little bit faster and doesn't give you the time that you wanted to support this record uh, as much as you maybe wanted to. Sure. I think it, well, I think it's the easy answer is it's just different. Um, So I I think uh, we can stand apart in some areas just because of the platform that the band's being built on. And similar thing is I'm not comparing us, but uh, it, it, like an audio slave, like they, they had a platform, you know what I mean? When they, when they started, they, they were, they, they had a foundation. Um, so for us, I think we're, we're relying on that some just so, to have the opportunity to get in front of people when we can't tour um, as far as accessibility. But then as far as goals going forward, it, it's something that uh, we haven't had a huge finger on the pulse yet or, or a, uh, a solid plan with that because everything's still so up in the air. I mean, even with corn breaking Ben, we, I mean, we're hoping to go back out next year. Our uh, like us with Live Nation, and we've put reserve those same venues for the same dates next year. But I, you know, we hope we can get there. You know, hopefully it's vaccine or whatever the situation is. I mean, it's not a talk a comment on politics or anything. It's just us getting back to normal life. And for us. Um, when you're bringing 15,000 people into a venue together, it's a little different than opening up a gym or a, a, a whatever. I mean, you're talking, there's insurance, there's hundreds of people being hired for that day. There's a lot of things that go into play, a lot of money on the line that have to, that has to make sense. And ju- just from a sheer insurance standpoint. Right. Um, it, so it can be tough. Uh, so that's hard to forecast too much as far as touring, um, what, what things are going to go out, because I, I, there's a lot of people talking about driving shows and a lot of things it, like a lot of comedians are doing it. Um, 
but they're not carrying one hundred twenty thousand dollars a day worth of production either. You know, nope. and they've got they've got one guy, not uh, five band guys and forty crew guys, which you know we typically have on those tours. So it it that that make, that presents its own challenges. And so how that fits in with uh, love and death is I, I think we're we're really excited about continuing having the opportunity to push this further than we probably could have otherwise. Sometimes in a full time touring year, and and, and uh, as you know, Brian and I and Breaking Ben and Corn have done two uh, tours together. And even with the schedule on those tours, it's difficult to get together and write. You know, our buses are parked next to each other for a month and a half or whatever the tour is. And it's just difficult to find that time or the motivation or whatever it is. And so we, we just look forward to really pressing hard with this and kind of showcasing uh, what we're proud of, what we've been able to accomplish with this um, and how that plugs into whether it be uh, touring. We'd love to tour, um, but it has to, you know, it's going to have to make sense uh, with our uh with the other bands and tour schedule and things like that. So um, we'll see. We're, we've got uh, a pretty solid strategy, I think, in place for releasing hopefully a couple of singles. You know, hopefully they, they do well, but we have, we forecasted out quite a bit. Um, you had mentioned the live stream thing coming up. Uh, we have some other things in the pipeline for the Love and Death project that we haven't announced yet. Uh, and if, if it keeps going, we'll, we'll probably do another album here sooner than later, um, you know, ne- next two years or something rather than seven. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, to kind of keep it going, I, I think it's re- renewed uh, some some energy and, and uh, excitement we have about it because it's it's so fresh and new and, and um, rejuvenating for us because it's it's just not our normal thing. That's what kind of keeps it exciting for us. So we're going to be plugging ahead. We're going to be like I said, doing radio. We're going to do as much press as we can. We're going to do live streams, maybe post a couple of them, um, and then hopefully we'd love to do some shows down the road when everything starts going back up. <laughs> Lastly, where can everyone find you and or any of the bands you want to plug online? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, my socials are all under just my name, J-A-S-E-N-R-A-U-C-H, Jason Round, and uh, Breaking Benjamin, obviously, uh, Corn and uh, Brian, once you can find him there. But uh, yeah, I, we try to stay as connected as we can. Uh, we try to, between messages and stuff that come in, sometimes can get a little crazy, but we try to be pretty responsive if we can. And uh, that's how we keep a pulse on things. That's how we, we stay connected. So we appreciate everybody's voices out there and everybody's comments. Everybody's, um, it's much more than, than likes and much more than acceptance. It is for us keeping a finger on the pulse and, and being educated as to what's out there, what people, um, you know, you, you don't want to get in an echo chamber where people are just telling you what you want to hear all the time. So keeping um, your ear out and, and, and your, your feelers out for other things out there, other opinions and fans, and what, what, that's what we kind of thrive on. So uh, we're there, and hopefully we're accessible enough. Absolutely. Well, thank you for taking the time, and enjoy the rest of your Heck day. Yeah, man. Likewise. Appreciate it. So that was my conversation with Jason Rao. Uh, again, most of you will probably know him from Breaking Benjamin, uh, but he's here to talk about the Love and Death record, which, again, is still up for pre-order. Uh, Perfectly Preserved is the name of the record. It comes out February 12th of next year. So you got a little while to uh, to actually wait to hear it. Um, But yeah, it's really good. It's a really good record. You should pre-order it. The vinyl, actually the packaging for the vinyl and everything looks really cool. Like I think there's like a 12 page booklet, like that folds out and all that kind of stuff. And just a lot of really cool shit uh, in that package. Plus the vinyl looks pretty cool. Um, So if you have the time, money, whatever, I mean, you got plenty of time to to pre-order it. So go out and pre-order, support these guys. Uh, The live stream, I believe I, don't have that handy, but there's a live stream coming. Um, check that out as well. 
I think they basically, as Jason said, they're probably going to play like half that new record. So you'll get to hear most of probably a good half of it before you even can buy it. So it's always pretty cool. Yeah, I got to listen. You know, I got to listen and then not tell anybody that I listened for a long time. I'm having problems with that. <laughs> sure, bro. Yeah, I, I could send you a copy. John's like, no, don't do that. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Not supposed to do that against the law. Illegal. Don't do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Don't it's water. It. It's watermarked with our with <laughs> back to us. So it'll be very obvious uh, where. Oh no, bro! It's watermarked back to you. I've never been on this podcast before. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's why your name's in the email. Totally. Oh, I know, right? You'll, I love how you'll send an email with the message, and you're like, "Da da da da." Sincerely, John. And they're like, "Hey, Dan, thanks for the email." <laughs> and I'm like, "I didn't email you. I don't even know who you are." Yeah. Well, you know, it happens. But uh, <laughs> all that said, uh, if you would like to keep up with Love and Death, uh, you can find them on Facebook at Love and Death Music, Instagram at Love and Death Music, and Twitter is at Love Death Music. And uh, again, you can pre-order the new record over at LoveandDeathMusic.com. If you would like to keep up with Jason, simple enough, you can find him at his name, Jason Rao, uh, and that's R-A-U-C-H, uh, Rao. So um, obviously, if you want to keep up with Breaking wow. Benjamin, there's probably plenty of other things uh, that you would be able to do uh, to keep up with Breaking Benjamin. I don't know if they have any new music in the works or whatever. Not really the point. So um, basically, those are the two things that we're here to plug. Jason and Love and Death, we have done that. And uh, now Dan will tell you where he can be found on the internet and where he can plug the things that he is all about. Well, I'm all about all kinds of things. Um, obviously, uh, you can find me right here on Twitch under <laughs> Discuss Metal Dan. And um, I stream multiple times a week, uh, sometimes game streams, sometimes uh, sometimes podcast streams, just whatever whatever I think you guys really want to see and all of that. But uh, I also do two other podcasts. Uh, I do the Discuss Metal podcast over at DiscussMetal.com, which is another interview-style podcast. And uh, I also do Discography Discussion, which is a music review discussion podcast, which is exactly what it sounds like. We discuss the discography of whatever band we decided to pick that week. And uh, hilarity usually ensues. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at DiscussMetalDan. You can send me an email at DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook if you look up my first and last last name if you can find that it's all up it's all up to you at this point it's daniel terry just look it up uh <laughs> but yeah and uh we actually uh, can be found on uh some of the weird like conservative trumper uh stuff uh like me we and parlor. are you really yeah we started the, yeah we started uh the way i look at it man is that stuff is just free real estate i'm not there for trump i'm just there for people to listen to my stuff so you know it is what it is can't wait for your uh can't wait for your trapped episode my trapped yeah it's like oh yeah here we go and for all things this podcast simple enough head on over to brewspeakpod.com that is our landing page for everything you would possibly want to know about the podcast um head on over to our youtube channel we actually uh you can see video of this uh a lot of the things we've been doing recently have been uh because we were using this same uh same platform that we're doing the live streams from um, there are YouTube versions. So basically there's the conversation I did with uh, Jason. Uh, the next, one of the next interviews that we have coming up is a, a nice, almost three hour conversation with Shannon Larkin of from Godsmack. Uh, we just did one with uh, Tatiana uh, from ginger that Dan and I uh, did earlier today. And uh, yeah, we got a lot of content over on our YouTube channel. We actually hit over 300 subscribers. Um, I was going to try to do the thing where I pick a random person for the winner, but I think I'm going to do that tomorrow. So if you're watching the live stream, be on the lookout for that. Uh, and then, you know, we'll obviously get to the person that can then also win the 10% off over at uh, enjoytheriderecords.com. So huge shout out to uh, everyone who's been subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, head on over there. A lot of cool shit. We're trying to uh, 
get some cool content up over there that we you know don't post everywhere else so uh all the support is greatly appreciated itunes ratings reviews all that kind of stuff the same thing you hear on every other podcast you know greatly appreciated on this one as well uh also greatly appreciated as our sponsors uh, i want to start off with the bean bastard head on over to beanbastard.com pick up some coffee my favorite coffee is back the shitter's full blend it is one of my favorites get you some before it gets sold out uh you definitely will not disappoint uh it's it's so fucking good. Um, so yeah, Facebook and Instagram at the Bean Bastard. Uh, also, on point pomade. Uh, I just saw that they actually the premium pomade I've been using lately is now clear because I guess uh, people were saying that they were getting some uh, residual of the red, and uh, you know Maddie and them changed it. It didn't it change the impact of the actual pomade or anything like that. Um, so it's really cool. You know, basically now if you have the pomade as it exists, uh, it's not uh, going to be that way anymore. So you kind of have a collector's item of sorts. But uh, thanks to On Point Palmade, use our code BSP15 and take 15% off your total purchase order. A um, lot of great deals they've been running lately. Um, so just kind of check their website, onpointpalmade.com, and uh, either use our code or if they're running a promotion, that's a little bit better. Just take advantage of whatever you can. You can't double up on the coupons, unfortunately, but uh, great product. We endorse them. And Joe, so does Joe. So, I mean, even discography discussions are already on He's all about it. Yes. Every time I go over there, which honestly hasn't been recently, um, he, uh, yeah, he's like, dude, you need to, you need to get some of this pomade. I'm like, I probably could. I just have to like ask for it, but I, I just, I haven't because you guys can see, I don't, not really on point <laughs> like at all. Not like John is. No, I put a beanie on today because my hair's past that phase where I, I'd have to use so much like hairspray to keep it up. Right. But soon I'm going to get my hair cut soon and I'll be back to using it. But uh, on point pomade, thank you for sponsoring us. And last but not least, rockabilia.com. Dan actually just got a package from them. Is he actually yeah, wearing a hoodie today? There he yes. is. I got this sweet, sweet, sweet death hoodie from Rockabilia. And uh, I was telling John it's super comfy. It fit exactly how it was supposed to fit. Uh, which is really nice. Not not to say that I couldn't afford to lose a couple of pounds uh, after this Christmas season is over, but uh, yeah, it, it fit really, really well. It's super high quality and goes through the washing machine great. And uh, I, I was really impressed with it. I really loved, I really, 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 really loved. Um, I don't know. I just really loved how, how deluxe this hoodie was. And I can't really show you right now, but like there was like the back printing was really, really, really nice. And, um, like almost like almost, I don't want to say it was like foil print, but it, it, it almost like mimics foil print and it just looks really, really, really good. It's the, uh, human album cover and love death, love death so much, love death, love, love and death. <laughs> it's all there. <laughs> and believe it or not, I'm hopefully going to get my package in the next day or two. I got a little bit of envy, uh, cause Dan got his before me, um, I actually turned down getting an every time I die hoodie I wanted and maybe I'll pick it up soon anyway. But uh, I picked up an old throwdown hoodie that Bridget had my wife and then uh, apparently we can't find it. So I basically got another one. But if you aren't familiar with Throwdown, go check them out. Go check out rockabilia.com. Use our code BREW15, takes 15% off your total purchase order. The store has over 500,000 items in their online store, and they're all officially licensed through the band, so you never have to worry about the integrity of the product, as you heard Dan say. It speaks for itself when you get it. And uh, I definitely am very much looking forward to getting my hoodie. And uh, actually, once again, just like every other sponsor we have on the show, you know, utilizing and, and actually owning something uh, and using the products that we have endorsed us and sponsor us so huge thanks to the bean bastard on point pomade and rockabilia.com they are definitely helping us do a lot of cool things that we will announce soonish uh that we're working on currently but uh for the brutally speaking podcast i am john i am dan we'll talk to you all next time yeah we will